What's up, y'all? And welcome to another episode of Worldly Church Girl. It's your girl, your host, Lillian Harshaw. On today's show, I have a man who has came a long way from an ex-felon all the way to being a college graduate, an entrepreneur, and he owns and is the CEO of Hair Maiden India. It gives me great privilege to introduce to you Rocky Singh Kandola. So you were born in New York, but you currently now live in Los Angeles. And you have had a very, very different past compared to your current present. You're a felon. Um, You've been shot, stabbed, kidnapped, and kicked in the face. And you have had over 20 major surgeries just in your adult lifehood. Uh, With all of that, you graduated from college with majoring in psychology and you now you currently own your own and run a showroom on the like the business one of the busiest streets in downtown LA. So I want to go back to the beginning. Can you tell us about your childhood? Yes, of course. So so first three things on what you said. Uh so first I was shot at I, the bullet didn't actually hit me, thank God. Um, thank God. Yes. <laughs> that was at a young age. Um, second, I was a philosophy. I was a philosophy graduate because I was uh, I wanted to go to law school uh, to basically help children that went through the same thing I went through, and I'll, I'll get into that more about what you know I went through in a, in a second. And then um, third, um, we actually have recently moved from downtown uh, LA Live, uh, upgraded to Beverly Hills. So, uh, so oh wow, of- congratulations! Thank you so much. Okay, so tell me about your childhood. Um, so yeah, I guess um, the, the best place to start would be um, the the first time that I got sent away. I was you know sent to uh, over nine different facilities across the world, uh, from boot camps to military schools to boarding schools, the Catholic boarding schools, uh, as well as public and private school systems as well. Um, my first time getting sent away, I was about 11 years old. My father, uh, you know, was having a difficult time dealing with me and sent me to India to live there as a child. You know, when I was um, you know like I said, 11 years old for about seven months. Um, you know, as an adult, I love that experience. Looking back, I'm so blessed and grateful for what I learned from it. Uh, however, as a kid, you know, I was just scared and missing my family and missing my brothers and sisters, uh, as well as all my friends back home. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't really have too many horrible experiences in India. I got roughed around a little bit. Uh, the, the people that were taking care of me there were kind of really strict and they had servants in the house and they were kind of really violent with the servants. So I used to pack them up in my tennis bag and, and sneak them out of the house and take them to the chicken market uh, once a week. And we would just have like one or two kilograms of chicken. And that would be our main meals during the week. Um, and, you know, beyond that, I would just uh, travel around the country. And I was really big into tennis, so I'd play international tournaments and get in quite a bit of trouble because, you know, my parents didn't want me to leave the area that I was in. And I would just hop on a train and wind up on the other side of the country playing a tournament. And, um, you know, it was, it was all, all fun and all, all good. I didn't really... Like I said, have too many horrible experiences there. Um, you know, uh, got a little bit roughed around by some some older people because I was I was so young and I didn't really have too many people around me. And um, you know, uh, however, at the end of the day, I'm really grateful for that experience. Yeah. So I guess uh, moving forward, the first like quote unquote crazy uh, crazy time that was actually you know uh, has you know kind of stuck with me and, and haunted you know dreams and and have flashbacks from to this day. Uh, honestly, up until last night even. 
um, was a place in Mexico called uh, the Casa by the Sea. It's a part of the Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs, WWASP, which is basically a, a corporate entity that takes, quote-unquote, bad kids and rehabilitates them. Um, what they do is they manipulate parents into thinking that children are going to these, you know, retreats that they're, you know, jet skiing and swimming and, and having great food cooked by chefs, you know, all day long and just a, a loving, great place. And, you know, in fact, the opposite is true. And that's evidence, you know, based on countless stories of what we call ourselves survivors uh, that speak to each other on Facebook and make YouTube videos, as well as, you know, BBC, Sky News, they've all done reports and the lawsuits and allegations against them for child abuse, for torture, for rape, uh, and et cetera. Um, oh so the God. first time I went, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty crazy place. So um, I went to this facility twice, actually. The second time is when I can uh, discuss about, you know, the, the quote, the kidnapping story, basically, is when I was actually kidnapped at 4 a.m. out of my bed with my ankles cuffed and my hands cuffed and, and escorted to one of these facilities. The first time I went, I was actually... Um, Pulled over. My, my father taught me to drive at a young age, and I started sneaking his car out as um, I was kind of one of those, uh, you know, back talking, loudmouth, really highly intelligent, you know, and, and all headed on my classes, didn't need to study, um, and, you know, thought of myself as I could do what I wanted to do at that age. So I would kind of sneak his car out um, and take it to Taco Bell on joy rides and stuff. And one of those nights when I took his car out, I actually got pulled over in the small town of Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, where everyone knows, you know, my family and my father. So the police officer called my parents and, and told them what was happening and that, you know, I can't be driving. And um, the next day I was supposed to go to tennis camp in New Orleans. And extent, instead, I was on a plane to a retreat in uh, Baja, California, Mexico, which I was told that, you know, would be a nice place. I'd go to play tennis there. I brought my tennis rackets and things as well. Um, my mom actually brought me there the first time, took me into the facility and, I remember walking through the big, and I've actually visited this place as an adult, and um, to be frank with you, like when I went as an adult, I literally just took pictures, stood outside the gate, and, and flipped the gate off. Uh, because yeah. of the, that's, I mean, I didn't have any other emotion in me besides that at that point in time. But um, when I was a kid, I remember going through the big, big walls. There's four big walls, a big red you know, building uh, that was open on top of four walls surrounding it. Um, and I was in the staff center, and, you know, they're talking to my mom, and everything seemed nice and normal and uh, just like, you know, a retreat type of facility that I was, you know, going to be entering for, you know. Uh, on, they told my parents and me at that time, that, you know, it could be a couple months, it could be six months, this and that. As soon as I remember saying the last goodbye to my mom, and I, I was actually, you know, kind of upset, so I didn't really even hug her the way I wanted to. I just kind of, you know, said bye and walked through the door. The entire atmosphere, the entire mood, it was almost like the Twilight Zone, but a bad one. And um, I immediately was grabbed. They told me, you're not going to get any of your things. Just give them to us. We're putting them in the back. I was stripped down um, to boxers um, and forced to shave my head completely down. I was told that there is no time limit to how long I'll be here. It depends on how I am. Um, there is, the, only, the only way I can get out is by graduating the program, which, is, which takes an un, you know, unexplainable amount of time. They can't tell us how long it's going to be. Or until the day I turned 18 when they would give me $50 and a bus pass to get back to America. And I was, like I said, 11 or 12 at this time. I guess I could, I could get into details about this facility. It's um, to give you like the quick overview. It's, it's basically like you, you, you go to school by studying a book and then you would read the chapter at the end of the book and take a test. And that's how you advanced in your classwork. Mm -hmm. uh, you would have a structured day, uh, you know, waking up, 
eating, cleaning, reading, sleeping. We weren't allowed to communicate with other people in the facility. You weren't allowed to talk without permission, stand up without permission, sit down without permission, use the restroom without permission. Um, you weren't allowed to look out of the line or look out of any windows if there were windows there. Um, we were forced to do pretty randomly inhumane things, such as waking up at 2 a.m., walking outside in the rain and, and, and standing still while looking straight. They had a consequence system where you had to earn points in order to, to graduate the program. And, you know, if you did one thing like look out of line or accidentally say excuse me or something without permission, you would automatically lose those points. And those points effectively added days on to your, you know, uh, effective sentence. Um, then they had really rigorous punishment programs uh, beyond that where the first one is called worksheets and the second one is called restraint and restriction. Uh, with worksheets, if you had a consequence such as actually speaking to someone else and, and trading information, as they called it, uh, any information, you would be sent to a room, a uh, blank wall with audio tapes playing constantly where you'd have to sit on the corner four inches of a steel chair for roughly four to eight hours at a time and write pages left side to right side on a piece of paper um, until you filled up, you know, I think eight pages or until, you know, uh, your time expired there. Um, if you messed that up or if you received a bigger consequence, such as looking out a window, which if you look out a window, they categorize that as uh, a run plan, which means you're planning to escape. Uh, then you were placed in a room with a Mexican guy sitting on top of you, your hands and your feet tied to your back with your stomach and your chin on the ground for anywhere from one to five days where your, your arm was released twice a day to have rice and orange juice as food. Um, once you stood up after that, um, your entire body would basically cramp up because, you know, you're sitting like that position for so long. And I, I actually faced both of these. Um, every kid has a varying degree of how harsh it was for them and how many times they went there. Um, to, you know, to these actual extra punishment rigorous programs. Um, and yeah, so it was uh, basically, for lack of a better term, a living hell for, you know, the time that, that I was that I was there. Um, kind of, I, I learned, you know, later on in life to just learn how to adapt to these institutional type of places and take my brain outside of what's going on and take my body outside of it and, and learn to just be there and make that your reality at that time. Um, I could get deeper in the program about, you know, how like, you know, there's the seminars and the, the, the smaller stories and the things that, you know, we have to do in order to graduate. I'm actually writing a book um, about that as well, uh, which is a work in progress because it's pretty emotionally taxing to, to write that stuff down on paper and relive it. Uh, but it also helps me greatly just to speak about it and write about it. Now, how long were you in there? Uh, so the first one I was in there for roughly seven months as well. My life kind of started having a program of seven months in a facility and, and, you know, six to seven months at home and back, back, back to back, back to back. So did your parents know that that's what was going on or they just thought that you were, they were taking you to what they alluded that they were taking you to? So we weren't allowed to uh, call our parents and we were only allowed to write one letter a week. And if we told them anything that the staff deemed as manipulative, which would be telling them what was going on, they would tear it up and make us rewrite the letter. Um, so my parents actually didn't know until I got out and I told them some of the stuff that happened. And I mean, I guess they didn't really believe what I was saying totally because they actually sent me back to the same facility in a different location with the same management roughly three years later. So when they did find out that what you said was true what how was how did that go um my parents are very like traditional indian and they're strict um i know my mom it hurt her heart hearing the stories about it definitely 
my father is a very uh, comes from a very like strict family. His 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 father was a a general in the Indian Army and was very you know strict on him as well. So he's kind of like the tough love. Like he saw that I was okay. He saw that mm-hmm. I looked okay and that you know I was um not hurt. So you know he's like you know tough it up. You'll be okay. Whatever happened happened. I sent you there because you were tough to deal with. I couldn't handle you and that he felt truly in his heart, which you know who knows if it was right or wrong that I wouldn't have survived. I would have died, you know, if I didn't go to these places. Um, so, you know, I've, I've since, in, 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 a, in a broad sense of the word, forgiven him. We have a much better relationship now than we did those many years ago. And I do love him very much. And I'm very appreciative of what he has given me, especially as an adult. Um, but as a child, I was very, very, very angry and very rebellious uh, towards, you know, him doing what I felt like these things to me. So, trying to word this the right way so do you feel like in in his heart that it made you the man that you needed to be uh, i feel like that he must be coming to that conclusion now because i mean like i said he's, he's a very strong minded. he's a physician he's a cardiologist strong-minded okay. scientific empirical thinking uh individual and very 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 wise and as well um so and, and very philosophical <laughs> and and blunt at the same time so I'm sure that, you know, now he sees, like, he's happy, like, where I am. I've, I've, I've you know, I've, I've achieved a certain level of success, and I'm, I'm I'm by no means perfect in just doing amazing and, and, and this, you know, perfect person, but I have taken leaps and bounds since where I was, you know, 5, 10, 15, and 20 years ago in my life. So right. he must be happy, and he must understand, that, you know, that, I mean, I, I've told him, you know, I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't go through all the stuff that I went through back then, the good and the bad and the ugly. Right. So what was the turning point in your life? To be honest, after that school, I went to many military schools and, and, and the next boot camp, which, you know, I was I was physically, sexually abused, all kind of stuff. I had so much going on that as an adult, I just wanted to, to be free and, and go crazy and live life. And as you know, as I told you, I, I wanted myself in prison eventually for getting involved into a lifestyle centered around drugs, selling drugs, partying, being up late nights, women, um, you know, everything from stealing and, and being robbed and, and, and being involved in other people being robbed and things like that as well. Um, nothing phased me, changed me or affected me. Even at the point when I was, when I nearly lost my life after being, you know, thrown into a concrete sidewalk by uh, two, you know, uh, white male bartenders that were friends of a, or my ex-girlfriend's friends. Um, and, you know, lost half my jaw and had to have, you know, bone replacement surgeries. Um, I was still very rebellious and, and very, um, you know, I, I'm, I can't be hurt. I can't be touched. I'm Superman. Stay away from me. I can do what I want to do. Um, which is why I've, I've honestly came to believe that during that entire part of my life that there was somebody, some higher power, some higher energy protecting me and, and guiding me through everything I needed to go through in order to get where I am now. Because after prison, even, I almost got involved into the same things. And, um, you know, my father's always been very strict, but, you know, when I was out and I was free of probation and everything, he came to me one day and he said, you know, Rocky, you're, you're not asking me for money anymore. You're not really living at home. And I see you traveling, you know, I've heard your name around a couple of areas. You're not in any trouble. Nothing has happened. But, you know, I think maybe you should get away from this and get away from this country and, you know, see if you want to do other things in life. And he had never asked me like that before. I'd always been very rebellious about what he says and always wanted to do the opposite of what he says. And the way he said it, this is November 3rd or November 4th, 2012. And I thought about it for a night. I had a girlfriend at the time. I was very involved in my areas. So involved, I meaning like 
people knew who to come to get what they wanted to get from and where the party was from. And I was like, you know what? Like, I have some, you know, semblance of community and happiness, which I was striving for in my life. But this is not how I want it or what I want. I don't want to look over my shoulder and be doing these things I don't really feel good about. And I don't want to be this rocky playboy drug dealer party animal that everyone thinks I am anymore. I want to see what else is out there. So I took the opportunity that he gave me and I went to India on November 7th, 2012. And for the first month, I kind of just lived on a village, lived on a farm, um, you know, literally clean life, let go of, you know, smoking weed every day and drinking every day. And, and that lifestyle broke up with my girlfriend and, you know, really tried to just be a new person out there. Um, shortly thereafter, I met my now ex-wife, um, who, you know, as, as painfully as the relationship ended and, and, um, I'm very, very grateful and blessed to have met her and to have gone through what I went through with her um, because I, I, I learned to level my life up. And for the first time, I saw a glimpse of what I really wanted out of my life, uh, just, you know, just being involved in a relationship with her. And, you know, people say that, you know, sometimes people come in your life for a reason and everyone's not meant to be there. Um, I truly do believe that, that, um, you know, that maybe we didn't work out for, for various numbers of reasons. And I can take accountability for the fact that I might not have been ready in that stage of my life either. Uh, for that relationship. However, um, once again, like I said, I'm, I'm very grateful for it and, and what I learned from it going through it and, and the ability of myself of going through um, the heartache and the pain to, to level up instead of fall backwards. Because um, I'm an Aquarius. I was born on February 14th. The biggest things that affect me personally are things of the heart. You can mm-hmm. hit me, you can kick me, you can lock me up and I'm not going to, it's not going to really phase me or change me much. But you mess with my heart, you play with my, my emotions and, and, you know, I will definitely have a life changing level up experience, you know, and, and you'll definitely see, uh, you know, some type of, of game changing, like reaction from me. And that's what, that's what that uh, relationship did for me. Um, so I made the business plan for hair actually while I was in prison. And when I was in India with her, I actually started to implement that, that business plan, uh, with a Facebook post and with traveling to meet manufacturers and vendors and raw material suppliers and just put it all together. Um, and I still was, you know, when I got back to America with her and living with her, still had, you know, habits that weren't going to be conducive to a, a lifelong, uh, you know, successful relationship or a lifelong successful business. And I, I struggled with those during our relationship until the point when she actually left. And she left me when I was in California um, and went back to India. And I had no home. I was kind of homeless. I was living out of a minivan. Um, I was drinking again, you know, a lot of an excess. And however, at the same time, I noticed that I was still able to do business and I was, you know, having a very well reception in California to, to people seeing a real guy in a minivan that's Indian come around to them with two suitcases in a backpack. And, you know, they could tell that I was going through a lot and I was very open about like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going through a tough divorce separation right now, just, but I'm still doing business. I'm still working for you 24 seven. I'm still here. So, you know, use me and, and, and I'll be, I'll drive to you at any time. And I, all my family, all my friends said, Rocky, go back home. You don't have a place to stay. You don't have anything. Go back to your family, stay here. And I just couldn't find it within me to, 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 to feel like I was giving up and do that. So I stayed and, you know, I couldn't get a job with Postmates, with, with Lyft and anything because of my record. I couldn't get an apartment because of my record. So I was in the, in the minivan some nights and hostels the other nights. Uh, and, you know, eventually I was able to, save up, do loans and, and find a place that would let me get an apartment. And I was still, you know, halfway teeter tottering between heading back to a bad lifestyle, meeting people in LA that were 
involved in scams and, and, you know, social security number scams and car scams and this and that. And eventually a friend I, I talked to that I, you know, was best friend since college, who was actually still a shining light in my life. The only one of the only, actually pretty much the only great friend I have, the only great friend I have since back then that has stayed true to who he was and been just an amazing person. He's been, had plenty of his own heartache because his own father committed suicide. He had to deal with a lot of things. He's just a very positive, clean, uh, great individual. And he came to me uh, from Korea, actually, flew into L.A. just because he heard it in my voice that, you know, I needed to have, you know, a powerful brother around me. And he stayed with me for a couple months and didn't force anything upon me at all. He just simply lived a lifestyle of yoga, meditation, clean eating, uh, working out, being around good, strong individuals that, uh, you know, had, you know, great hearts and loving souls. And that was about four years ago now. So to basically answer your first question, I feel like if, if I could ever say there was a proper turning point besides in 2012 when, you know, something that I feel like it was more of a transcendental spiritual thing that came over me that allowed me to say yes to my father to leaving everything I knew behind, it was the time when Sean came to me, lived with me, and I started this new lifestyle. I quit eating meat. I started working out. I started doing yoga. I started meditating. I started putting myself intentionally around people that, that were living these lifestyles. I started stopped watching TV and movies. I started stopped listening to music that I was listening to and started feeding my brain uh, to this day, every day on the on the drive to the office this morning with YouTube videos about, um, you know, gratefulness, uh, intention, power of intention, manifestation, self-help, business help, and reading these books and putting this information in my head 24-7 as much as I possibly could. And I feel like that was the main turning point when I started making those decisions consciously. And I, it, it almost is mind-blowing to see where I've came in those short three to four years since I have started living that different lifestyle. And um, this year on my birthday, I actually gave the self my gift, gave myself a gift of letting go of, of, of you know, one thing that was in my life forever, which was, was a, a taking in marijuana, you know, here and there to, to basically to forget my past and to not have bad dreams and to not think about these things that are always in my mind. I, I always wake up every other couple of nights screaming and stuff and marijuana really helped with that. So after finally, you know, getting that out of my system, I've realized that there's other ways that I can, you know, stop these dreams. And I've, I've actually started doing that as well. And I don't have them, you know, quite so often anymore. I don't have those PS, PTSD symptoms quite as often anymore. Um, you know, just living clean, meditating and, and, and putting myself around listening to these type of things. And, and now speaking about it and writing about it, you know, I feel like it's another turning point because as a, an Indian child of really strict Indian parents, they wanted to kind of shy this stuff away and and not talk about it and not share it with my family or anybody else. And they don't like me talking about it, um, which has obviously kept me scared to discuss it in the past. Uh, it's even kind of like, I don't know if you can hear it. My voice is kind of like shaky right now. Even. Yeah, I can hear you. It's just a little bit tough to talk about uh, for all those reasons. But the more I do, the, the, the more open my heart feels, the more I feel like my chest just gets lighter and lighter. And so I guess I'm like, I'm doing better every day. And like, and the fact that I was able to make those decisions back then and, and now that I'm able to do these, I just know that the growth in, in the next two to three years is going to be something that I once again look back on and say, wow, like, I want to share this with somebody else. I want other people to know that are going through all this stuff that, guys, like, you don't have to be that person they label you. No matter what you're going through or what you're feeling or what you're doing or what your situation is financially, socially, economically, racially, whatever, 
there are steps you can take and there are things you can do to, to have the exact life you want and change things and turn everything around. Yeah, I was thinking about um, some of the points you made, especially about your relationship and your father and the friend that you um, that came and opened your eyes to a different way of living. You know, they say that every person in your life is a lesson or a blessing and sometimes both. <laughs> and and I feel like, you know, everything that you've been through has been just that. I mean, it you learned from it, but it also blessed you. I do want to go back to when you said that when you were uh in prison and that beauty industry is what came to you to start. Why why the beauty industry of all things? Why was that? Why was that the thing that go, you know what? <laughs> Let's get into the beauty industry. So basically, I was in Alabama State Prison, and they they toss in about 207 guys in, on 103 bunk beds in a big, big dorm. And um, I had a buddy in there named Ja. And me and Ja would always talk business, always like, and I, I love talking to him because there was, there was not many people looking for, for anything besides, you know, the, the dope game and, and looking for stuff like that. And, and, I, and I, you know, myself at that point really was still open to those type of things, but I also was always had this business mindset. So me and John would brainstorm on a daily basis for different things. And and hair was just one of them. We had club ideas, we had, you know, tech ideas, we had all kinds of different things. And I would he would talk about it and I would write down plans and we would use like um phones that we snuck in to, to call out into the real world and call family and friends and his friends and ask them to give us percentages and numbers and interest amounts and rates and, and what the you know what the costs and would be to market it and to, to source these products. And um, hair was just one of the business plans we made. Um, you know, we, we talked talk to one of his friends named Sonia, and she gave us, you know, the pricing of what it costs and what people are paying for it and what, you know, vendors charge and this and that. And they were just like, oh, Rocky, you're Indian, man. So, like, and, like, you know our community, know you're in our community. Like, it would be amazing if you did this. People would listen to it and people would, would try it. So um, I didn't even actually think about it again until – two years after I got out, when I actually went to India, um, it was actually just on the back burner. You know, I just, like I said, when I first got out, I started doing other things and, you know, back into the old lifestyle. And when I was in India, I remember that, um, my, you know, at that time, my ex-wife, um, I didn't know, like when I went to her house that her parents were going to say, you know, Hey, so you want to marry our daughter? <laughs> and looking back, my cousins were all like, Rocky, that's what it is. When you go to the Indian woman's house, like they're going to think you want to marry your daughter and they're going to want you to. Um, and they were like, hey, you have no career, you have no business, you have no plan, you have no job, you know, what do you, how are you going to take care of our daughter? And, you know, at first I tried to like, okay, I can open up a liquor store out here. I can, um, you know, open up a restaurant out here. I wanted to stay in India. I didn't want to come back to America. Um, and I just kept on finding, you know, walls and obstacles and every single thing on that front. So I couldn't put it together the way I wanted to. So finally, um, I started digging into the hair business that we had thought about. And I made a Facebook post. And my friends from back home, like all the chicks I used to hang out with at past school, high school, and my schools in Mobile, they were like, Rock, what? You have hair? And you're in India? Like, oh my God, like, hook us up, bring it through, like, let us know, like, we are down, we got you. And I was like, wow, this is a, I'm getting a pretty good response to it. Let me go ahead and go all in with it. Um, so as I told you, years before, I was assaulted um, downtown and, you know, almost, almost lost my life. Um, the state of Alabama, the DA, told my father that they would not press charges against the individuals since your son is a convicted felon and he was not supposed to be downtown in the first place. 
um, you know, which was a pretty big deal because, you know, I, I feel like we're all humans first, you know, convicts afterward, you know, we should all be treated, you know, fairly equally, especially when it comes exactly. to violence on us. So what my father did was pursue uh, civil charges. And um, those civil charges that he pursued enabled me later in life, which was when I was in India, to use um, the money from the settlement and start a new business. Um, and that business was hair. So I bought, you know, as much hair as I could, um, came back to America after doing like, I was there for about a year. So I would like research the vendors, manufacturer, the business, like made the logos, the designs and everything. And then I came back and just started a business, opened up the LLC and uh, started selling. And it was tough, man. I was teaching tennis there in the beginning. So I've played since I was a kid. Uh, I was teaching tennis, making good money actually for the first three years. And the business, business didn't really make anything. And I got to a point where I was kind of comfortable almost because I was making, you know, $50 an hour plus tips teaching tennis, uh, living in New Jersey and Connecticut uh, until I tore my ACL. And then when I tore my ACL, I realized like, you know, maybe tennis, I won't be able to do tennis forever, which I thought I'd be able to do. Uh, and that's when I really said, you know what, it's time to dive in this business because I have a wife to take care of. And, um, you know, we're, we're both at the age where we can't just be like, hey, mom and dad, help us out. We mm -hmm. have to do it on our own. And, um, so when I tore my ACLs when I really dove into it. But yeah, I didn't, it didn't just really go like, hey, let me do the beauty industry because I was never into fashion or beauty or anything like that before in my life. It all just kind of, like I said, it was a higher it was a higher purpose. There was something my entire life that has been guiding me. And I, I was never really a big believer in spirituality until recently, until life kind of made me say, hey, Rocky, like there is no other way that all this stuff came together the way it has. You know, there is something greater than, than you there's an energy out there there's a power there's a there's a being out there that is is guiding you in this and um and now I, I talk to that that energy creator that being you know as much as I can and and ask for the same guidance and for love in my heart and for the ability to share that you know moving forward in, with the world so what's the common uh, misconception about being in the hair business uh, I guess the biggest thing is that you can just start it by finding a vendor or paying for a vendor online and then just making a website, taking some beautiful pictures and start. Um, a lot of people in the hair business come from a lot of the same backgrounds or similar backgrounds as I. Um, you know, a, a lot a lot of black girls, a lot of Spanish girls um, that are in the same communities and cultures that I grew up in myself. Um, we have been taught and led to believe basically the wrong things about business and about the way it works. This business is just like a Fortune 500 corporate company. You have to have accounting. You have to have PR. You have to have marketing. You have to have systems. You have to run your business on a daily basis and work 24 hours a day, more than any nine-to-five job you could ever have. And you have to care about it, do it passionately, transparently, and openly. Basically, you have to blood, like bleed, sweat, and cry your business on a daily basis for a very long time um, and put that effort into it, or it'll just be a side hustle which um, is fine. If you want to do it as a side hustle, there's a, a level of um, involvement you can have and just keep it as a side business and not really get that deep into it. But if you want to be in the hair business and you know a, a viable competitor and player in the industry, it takes setting up systems and, and, and tons of work, which you know at the end of the day, it's fun. I love doing what I do. I, and honestly, like I hope None of my clients hear this and hear, get it the wrong way, but I don't care about the actual hair and the way it makes people look. I like the way it makes them feel and what it can do for them business-wise and how we create these businesses and how we move along in making our individual systems for each separate business um, to further that business and allow these business owners to create their own lifestyles and to, to basically 
mastermind how they want their life to go. And I mean, like I said, it, it takes a lot of work to get to that level. And I've only recently got to that level of for the first three or four years, it was just like running in circles. And I was many times scared, like, hey, like I'm doing this to take care of a family. Like if it's not going to work, like what am I going to do? And I've started, you know, a few other things during the process from rose oil company to tea companies to CBD to, you know, marketing and branding and consulting. Um, and not only like in hopes of, you know, having a second income, but to be frank, I was scared. I was like, man, like I have to have something has to work. Something has to give me the opportunity to have the life that I want. And I'm not, I knew now, like, I'm not giving up. I'm not going back home. I'm not going back to life I lived. There is no other option. This is going to have to work. And now what I've came to, I know I can tell my clients, I can tell my, my partners that, hey, like, if you want it like this and you cut off the other options and you live a certain lifestyle, it's going to work. I don't care. If it, like, I don't care what you say. Like, don't, I'm not giving you, I'm not blowing any smoke to you. I'm not selling you any dreams. It will work. You just have to implement certain things and do it a certain way um, and sacrifice a little bit to get to the place you want to get to, but it will work. Now, there are so many hair industries out there. It seems like every time you turn around, there's a new freaking ad on either Facebook or Instagram of somebody sell hair or a wig. What do you do to make sure you stand out? So I don't do things like most people do. Um, I, I, I've, and I've, I've been scared about this as well. But everyone says everyone has traditional business advice. I don't really follow it as much. On, on these type of things. Most people take pictures, make their website perfect, flashy stuff, have models, things of that nature. Uh, for me, I, I put myself out there. I, I let all my clients and partners talk to me and have access to me 24 seven. I make videos in a transparent nature to where people can reach out, ask questions, learn about the business and, and grow with me in that, in that sense. Um, and marketing wise, like, you know, I've, I've taken some, some product pictures, I've done that. I just won't ever put my budget to that because a lot of people that put their budget to those things actually end up overcharging their customers because they had such a heavy marketing expense that they have to at that point. Um, and, you know, I've, I've gotten some feedback about, you know, hey, Rocky, if you want to build your retail, you know, like you need to do this and that, this and that. And I'm working on it. You know, I, I like to take my time with that. But the biggest thing that's helped me is, like I said, I put myself out there. I was doing eight to ten trade shows a year. If I'm driving anywhere, I'm going to Google like hair extensions on the map and I'm going to take my products to that salon, to that stylist, to that individual, show them what I have, talk to them openly as a person, as a human being first, then let them know the numbers and the business you know, aspect of what everything is going on. Um, and, and it's sad to say that most people just aren't willing to do that and put that effort in, and which is why you see so many even hair companies or even uh, you know boxing companies or... TV companies or whatever it may be, uh, just starting up and, and ending up failing. That's why the, the rate of failure, in my opinion, is so high because um, people come into business not really prepared to put that kind of work and effort in. And um, I totally believe in the, the possibility of personal branding, and that's kind of what I do. I'm a very personalized brand, and I'm very connected with Hair Made India. If the, if the name Hair Made India were to go away, you know, Rocky Singh Candola is here to stay. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And I could, you know, just shift this this name into something else. And my clients know me directly. And, you know, it's not easy. I have people that have, you know, uh, you know, sometimes get, you know, hair that they don't like or not happy with. But I don't throw them away or, or throw them under the bus or, or leave them out to dry. I take care of them. I, I work with them. I talk to them. I take their videos. I send those back and forth to our labor at the factory to figure out what went wrong. I exchange their products. I return their products. And um, it, it, it takes 
all of the above to, you know, to do business properly. And if someone is listening that starts to feel overwhelmed that, you know, hey, I can't do this, that's not the case either. Once you do that for a long enough time, you start to learn systems that you put in place and people that you hire to train to be able to help you do all these things. You know, you just, you have to put the work in and be connected in the very beginning 110%. And then once you're five years in, you can pull back back to like 98% and slowly pull back to like, you know, 95. For me, I I love doing what I do. So I'll always be connected in a pretty, pretty heavy sense to, to this business. And you know what? I can honestly say you are not lying because I've been on your Instagram page and you are so doggone personal with everybody. Even the marketing, quote unquote, if you say it's not you, it's your clients. They're the one that's bragging about you or boasting about you or promoting you. You don't even have to do it. They're doing it for you, which speaks volumes of your character and your product. You're not making this up. This isn't just, you know, um, something that you're, you, you know, you're just saying just to sound good. You, you're legit, man. And I, I, I mean, if I had a butt that had applause, I will push it right down. But I don't have it, so I'm just gonna spiritually give you a pause right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm receiving it on my end. Thank you so much. Because, <laughs> because um, I'm gonna ask you this question, but I already know the answer because I saw your video about it. How do you deal with difficult clients? Um, head on. Uh, difficult clients. So I'll tell you a story. Four, three or four years ago, I used to wake up and get a difficult client email. And I would, and like I said, again, I'm Aquarius. So like, it's funny to say it, but like I would, I would have to run to the bathroom and basically like cry, like <laughs> just be like, <laughs> and grab my hair. Just like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? Just, oh, how do I like just, just be horribly hurt. And, um, and then I would wipe my face off, walk out to the living room and hop on the call with them. And, and try my best to deal with it. Um, and, and you know, what I've learned now is that I don't have to do business with everybody. And that's not why I started business. Um, people, there's some people that you just can't please. And that's okay. You know, they're humans as well. And they have their opinions, their views, and their mindsets. And if those two things don't align up, you know, with me, then I tell them respectfully, hey, you know, um, there's a lot of companies out there and they all have different varying levels of service and quality, I, I suggest you, you know, give them a shot, give them a try, talk to them. And, you know, if, if they work out good for you, then, then good. If, if not, you know, I will be here, but um, I don't feel like we're the best fit for each other. And, um, and now how no- many owners will even do that? Most owners have someone in, uh, that specializes in customer service versus them doing it themselves. You do it yourself. I do. I, and I tell my team uh, immediately, like, guys, if you get one funny message on Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, Facebook, email, phone, whatever, you let me deal with that. I don't want I want you guys to be best foot forward, be nice. Like, I don't want you to have to deal with any kind of customer service issues. I will deal with that personally myself um, because I honestly feel like and, and not because I'm micromanaging, don't want to delegate. I just feel like, you know, I'm the owner of the company. I started it. I, I'm the most connected with it. And that the person that doesn't has any issues should definitely be, you know, have the opportunity to, to deal with me directly. Because the video I saw, and you probably, you may remember it, I guess it was somebody who was complaining and throwing shade about the prices. Yes, I was in the car when I made that video. It was one of my recent ones. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you were such a class act about it. You, the fact that you even put it on your page that it happened so it wouldn't be hearsay made it even classier. And I feel like that's, I try to do that as much as I can. Like a lot of times some of these people are, are very, um, very like 
attacking and, and rude. And I feel like with those people, it's best to just let let it be. You know, like uh, apologize best I can. Let them know that hey, you know, we're not a good fit, and not even put anything out online about it, just because you can kind of tell people's energy sometimes. It's, it's so it's so angry and, and mean that there's no reason to even um to get in the mix up with it. So. And it's it's rare, honestly. Like it, I, I deal with thousands of clients, and and there might be one or two people in between here and there that that actually have those type of spirits. And I believe I really heavily believe in you. You kind of you receive what you kind of put out into the world. So mm-hmm. um, I don't want to put anything out there like that 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 would just kind of attract more of that to me, basically. Kill them with kindness. Exactly. Yeah. So how can people contact you? Once again, like I said, um, I am a very direct, open person. My direct phone number is 228-596-5678. The name of the company is Hair Made in India. That's hair, H-A-I-R, maiden, like your mother's maiden name, M-A-I-D-E-N, India, I-N-D-I-A. We are on all social media, literally everything from Pinterest to YouTube to Twitter to um, Tumblr to Facebook to Instagram, all the big ones. All the handles, all the usernames are at Hair Made in India. Um, me directly, I have a, a blog and a website out there kind of discussing, which I'm getting more into about my past as well as my journey in the hair business. And that's just rockycandola.com, R-O-C-K-Y-K-A-N-D-O-L-A.com. Um, and I'm, like I said, I'm out there, man. So if you Google Hair Made in India or Rocky Singh Candola, things will pop up, uh, you know, that I've put out there. So I'm, I'm, I like to tell my friends and joke, like, I'm pretty much one of the easiest persons to find if you want to find me. Like, everything, <laughs> my address, my phone number, everything is out there. So, are, is, you're direct, though, right? So, you're not like the middleman. You're the man when it comes to, to the hair. So, I have factory processes set up in India. It's like a shared kind of facility where we source together. We, we share labor and do things out there. I'm back and forth in India at least twice a year, uh, checking on things, making sure labor, making sure the factory is running smoothly. Um, so, we, like... Basically, the, the temples are, quote-unquote, the man, right? Because mm-hmm. we all have to source from them. And then from there, we, we manufacture and put wefts on and put it on everything else. Um, so I, I do not at all think of myself as a, a middleman. Um, but also, I do have to give the respect to the temples. That's where everything comes from. So that's where we get it from. So is it bundles and wigs or just wigs or what is it? We specialize mostly in bundles, frontals, and closures. I shy away from wigs sometimes. And, and to be honest, mostly because... The, the wig makers out there in India are just not near as good as the one in the States that I know I hear. But the ones I know I hear, you're going to you know pay close to $2,000 for a piece for them to make it with you with my hair. Um, so we have like, you know, different options on that. I kind of shy away from doing too, too many wigs. Uh, but our bundles and our funnels and closures, we have an amazing, excellent handiwork of staff over there that do an amazing job with wefting and, and hand making these units and these pieces out there. And it's all virgin hair, right? Yeah, so so that's another thing in the hair industry. Everyone says, you know, virgin and raw and unprocessed and remy. Like for us, all those words mean the same thing. Up until, <laughs> the, point, up until the point we process it and put chem or not chemicals, we put steam on it. We don't use chemicals. Up and until that point, our hair is 100% virgin, raw, unprocessed, remy. You know, all the words that they've made, you know, differentiate in the market. They all mean the same. Once we put color or we put steam on it, at that point, we no longer call it those things. We call it steamed or we call it colored. I have one last question for you. Are you ready? I am ready. If you could have any song be your theme song when you walked into a room, what would it be and why? That's a really good question. Um, well, I had so many come to mind right now. I'm going <laughs> to look at the first one that came to mind, and it's for a weird reason, and it might be a weird song, and the person might not be exactly one we want to follow right now, but the song meant a lot to me because when I was a kid at the boot camp, we were actually forced 
to learn this song and, and sing it in a group setting for therapeutic reasons and for seminar reasons, which I'm going deeper to in my book. Um, <laughs> when I say, I know people are going to shake their heads, some of them, but it's, I believe I can fly. Um, well, with Bio Kelly, obviously. And, um, I don't know. I don't really listen to that much music, any new music anymore. And, um, mm -hmm. that song has not, has always spoke to me just because of the lyrics inside of it. Um, and, you know, being in the places I was, um, you know, thinking that I wouldn't be able to make it to the next place, even everything from suicide and depression. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's a sad song, I guess I wouldn't want it to be the what I walk out on a stage to, you know? Um, maybe the Rocky theme song would be better for me to walk <laughs> out. I mean, is it really a sad song? Is it an inspirational song? It's inspirational. It really is. And then and then also like uh, uh, Hero by Mariah Carey. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh you picked oh. three good ones. <laughs> You really did. Let me see. Okay, so I believe I can fly Rocky. Now, you can pick Rocky as you coming in. There we go. Uh, and then Hero for intermission. And then I believe I can fly at the end of your your, your speech. That sounds, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have all three. But yeah, but, you know, something that I've learned as far as um, music and any anything, really, you know, it's not the messenger, it's the message. So, yeah, R. Kelly's a piece of work right now, but the message was still just as good. The message of the song, and especially I'm talking about when that song came out 20 years ago, and, like, imagine a kid in a boot camp away from his family at home and, like, hearing the lyrics and being forced to memorize them and then understanding them, and then as an adult going to the same place later and, and hearing it and, like, it, it, that song, it, it's like I said, it's weird, but it, it's kind of like it's been like in the background of me for for my entire wow. life. So it's like a double tundra that song for you. Wow, exactly. Bless your heart, but I love your story. It's definitely, I mean, you inspired me to um, to keep hustling. You know, even when I'm tired, just push through that and keep going. Yeah. Just as soon as you want, it, and that's why I want to work with like people in prison and stuff and. And certain people, because as soon as as soon as you know that they like, hey, they want this, that's the type of person that that I feel like will get the most value. Like all you have to do is want it, and really, really want it so bad you want it more than you can breathe, and you're ready to let go of the of what you've known before, um, and it will be yours. I, I'm I'm a living example of that, and I, I believe with all my heart. I really enjoy talking to you, and I can't wait for your book. So when your book comes out, please he he he, let me know. Cause I would love to have you back on here. Love thank, to. Thank you so much for having me, Miss Lillian. I really, really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll definitely send you. It's a work in progress, though. Like I said, it's a bit tough to, to like dive deep and, and write the details of this stuff. But, and I have to take breaks and then step back every once in a while. But I'm, I'm working on it, and it's getting done, you know, soon. Thank you again. I'm gonna let you go because I know you're busy. Because you're probably at work as we speak. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a good day and stay safe out there. Thank you so much, Lillian, and you as well. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Rocky, for sharing your story with us. I know that this story is difficult for you to tell, but in telling this story, you have found your freedom, and you're also going to be able to help others. And if you would like to be on Worldly Church Girl, click the link below, shoot me an email, and let's see what we can do with that thing. Have you subscribed? What are you waiting for? Hit that subscription button and that way you will never miss another episode.
And as always, thanks for joining your one and only Worldly Church Girl.